Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 4, Episode 15, Sons of Moog. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are great. We're awesome, and of course, we're a good time. We're trying to expand things and make things more enjoyable for all uh, sci-fi fans in general, whether you um, just like Star Trek like we do or everything else, okay? Um, So as David said, yes, tonight we are talking about The Sons of Moga. Really interesting episode, and I think kind of an underappreciated episode uh, for the development of Worf. And um, I can't wait to really get into it, but like always, before we get into all of that, Love to check in. So, David, tell us, how has your week been? It's been good. Been uh, fairly uneventful. Work has had its ups and downs, but work is work. Um, I finished book two of the Altered Carbon series this week, uh, Broken Angels. Summary is that I think the the season two of the show was a better story because they deviated heavily from this. There's, like, nothing from this in the second season. And frankly, that just makes sense. Not only because this book is pretty gritty and dark and just not, it wouldn't make for good television because no one would watch it. It'd be rated R pretty heavily. Um, But the story gets a little meandering, unfortunately. And so the show just did a better job of finding another way of telling a more interesting, compelling story. But I I appreciated continuing to read uh, Richard Morgan as the author, reading reading his uh, sci-fi because it's different. It's a very uh, film noir type world, very dark and, you know, not, you know, your, your hero is not a, you know, knight in shining armor. He's a guy just trying to get by in life in a world where death is actually kind of meaningless because your body can be regrown and you can get new bodies at any time. And um, so interesting a book uh, wasn't quite as good as the first one, quite as it was, wasn't quite as good as the show, I would say. But uh, I'm happy to read that one, and I'll read the third one at some point because uh, I gotta gotta get to Expanse book four. Yeah, once yeah, we gotta, yeah. I'll have to. I'll join you in reading that here in a minute. I'm gonna read something else first because um, I I need to finish that. Hey, but that's fine because, yeah. like I said, it just gives me more time <laughs> to get it finished. Um, and I just want to further, you know, to reiterate, I'm, it's not that I'm a slow reader. It's just finding the time to read. Oh, I again, I I exceedingly work. difficult. At work, I have so much time to knock out yeah. reading. I, For those I, like, of you who don't know, David and I used to work the same job where we just had endless hours of uninterrupted time to read or do just whatever, you know. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, that is gone for me now. Right. And uh, so now I'm squeezing in, you know, I've got 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there. You might catch an hour or something like that to, to just sit and read. And um right. Yeah, it's just difficult. I I enjoy the book, and I find that like when I really, it's like it seems like right when I get into the groove of reading, I've got to stop. And right. I'm like, oh, 
yeah. so so tedious. Yeah. The the one problem with this book here is that the main character is the only character like the, the plot from the first book does not have anything really to connect to the second book. Only that the main character is still the main character. But the the plot line, the setting is 100% different. And so there's also not a development of character interactions like you can get in the expanse where you have your main cast and, and new new characters coming in to bring uh, you know a new fresh take on the the characters. But um, so that means that the expanse series you're building the storyline continually, whereas this one, brand new situation, the main character is one you've already read from, but. You know, that's an interesting point that you make about that book because, you know, when the series was on Netflix, uh, that might be why it ultimately failed and was canceled because, like, for people like me who knew nothing of the Altered Carbon series, we watched the whole first season, loved it, and were ready for the second season, tuned in for the second season, and beyond the main character being the same individual, everything else was changed, and we were given... No explanation for it. Well, None. even the even the actor playing the main character is different. Anthony. Well, Mackie, I'm saying the the character as in name was right. was the same, but yes, the yeah. person playing him was different. Everything right. was different, and they gave right. us no real explanation for it. Maybe if I had read the books and was familiar with the series, that wouldn't have bothered me as much. But I do know that that is like one of the main things that took me out of the series was suddenly everybody was different, and there was no reasoning right for it. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. Again, I, I think he's an interesting writer. Um, he basically has come up with a very unique world and or, or setting that is, and so it's it's interesting to follow. But um, the first one was was just just better, and and the mm. show also did a better job of like fixing some of the problems with the book for from book to show. Anyway, don't want to keep going. But um, yeah. other thing is. Watched the last of the Mission Impossible movies in preparation for the new movie coming out, and I know okay. you had started watching some of those. I had started. I watched number one. I watched number two. I was so thoroughly disappointed with number two. I have I not started you. number three. I told it, you, man, um, you can't let it get it, you down. You just gotta yeah, move past it, it. it. I have to admit, it took the wind completely out of my sails. I was just like, I, I can't believe how bad. Oh, it is. I know. Number two and, is. Um, <laughs> It's and as I, you know, we talked about this a little bit uh, when I when I was getting close to finishing the movie. Um, the movie reminded me so much of a lot of like uh, anime. You know, there's there's so many like certain the way certain scenes were filmed, and there's a lot of stoic close-ups. You know, we have yes. to see the full feature of the face and the hair and the highlighting and the the feather lighting around the eyes and and all this stuff. And then there's like these high action split sequences that are happening that really they're, they don't do anything other than add flash. Like we don't necessarily right. need them to continue the plot of the movie. And so, right. yeah, just a lot of things that were just kind of like the moment that you felt like you were kind of getting into the pacing of the movie, they would do something like that. That would immediately take you right out, at least for me. And so it, this, it was this weird kind of stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And then there was just no justification for, uh, the romantic angle, you know, it was it was much too fast, much too soon, uh, yes. not enough dialogue to explain it. There's just so right. many things that, again, if you were reading this, perhaps, or maybe if this was in an anime where they do this a lot, where you hear the internalized thoughts of the characters, you know, someone's doing the internal monologuing, you know, 
I think that that might have helped out, but obviously for a live action movie, they're never going to do that. So it just, everything seemed very one dimensional, not even two dimensional. It was just a very flat movie. Right. And yeah, it just didn't work for me. So I'll probably end up watching um, three either later tonight, if that's been my habit lately, not being able to sleep, I'll throw it on. <laughs> uh, or I'll watch it tomorrow. And then if it's good enough, then I'll try to power through three. I'd and say four. number three is one of the best in the series. I mean, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll quickly just say this, that four, I'm sorry, five and six have the most tightly aligned plot in terms of like what happens in five is more important to what happens in six because most of them are pretty isolated. At least the first like four are fairly isolated in their storyline, but then they start like actually having a, a storyline that actually carries over. And I think that might play a feature in the new one coming out. Um, okay. But number three is, is let me put it this way. It's the first one I ever saw as a kid. Uh, I didn't see the first one. And then like the second one, then the third one, the third one is the first one I ever saw. And so that's the one that in my mind stands out. It's the classic one for me. Uh, even though the first one has the classic, you know, drop down scene and everything. Um, so yeah, number three is great. I think you're going to really appreciate that one a lot more than two. Number two is the hiccup in the series. Okay. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is that once, uh, now that I've finished watching the Mission Impossible movies in preparation for the new one, I want to watch all of Christopher Nolan's filmography in preparation for Oppenheimer coming out, which comes out next, the week after Mission Impossible. Um, and there are 11 films of Christopher Nolan, and then the new one is his 12th. So I have to find a way to watch 11 movies in about 12 days, which I'm sure I'll be able to, I'll be able to manage. I was going to say, yeah, to 11, disciplined. yeah. <laughs> disciplined about it. 11 movies in 12 days, and uh, yeah, okay, you, you can get it done. Yeah. You can, can get it done. Happen. Um, so and meanwhile, while you're doing that and obviously not reading the fourth book in the uh, Expanse series, I will be uh, hopefully finishing so that by the time that you actually begin to read it, I can be bugging you to hurry up so we can do <laughs> our, our After Dark. Uh, my yeah. plan is for is to um, finish the book and then go back and watch uh, yes. season, season three. Four. Four. See, I, was gonna wa- I wanted to go back and watch season three and then go into season uh. four. Um, yeah, just because I I feel like it helps to flow better to get you ready for what's next. And then since this will still be fresh in my mind, I'll be able to, um, appreciate both three and four. Um, I think there's, there's a little bit of overlap between the, uh, two seasons. Uh, I want to see if I can pinpoint that, if that's true or not. Um, so for those of you who are following along again, it's the, it's book four of the expanse series. Um, so far, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I like the fact that we are dealing more with uh, the protomolecule in this book. That's something that I felt like was really lacking in the show. I understood why, because that would, would have required a lot of CGI and also a lot of like heavy tech explanation, which I think they were trying to avoid. They wanted to make this story as... As, as realistic as possible, make you relate to the characters as much as possible. So there was kind of a departure from certain language and things like that. But the books obviously don't do that. So right. um, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying that kind of filling in the blanks on that part. So right. um, yeah, and then of course we'll do our um, Fire Caves After Dark where we talk about the book and all that stuff um, once David gets there. Okay? Cool. Um, so yeah, we'll keep you updated on that. Um, in fact, you know, with the pacing, the way things are going, it will probably end up being our 100th episode. This is episode 93 for us. So by the time we get to the 100th, 
most likely it would be an After Dark special anyway. So, um, yeah, just keep that in mind uh, for those of you who are paying attention, of course. Um, but we're not here to talk about all of that stuff. We are here to talk about the Sons of Moog, um, the, the infamous Klingon brothers who have kind of been our uh, window into Klingon culture and society and so forth from opposite ends. Worf being right. adopted by humans and then Kern, who grew up in Klingon society. So, right. um, would you like to give the recap? Oh uh, man, you... this is definitely a you episode. <laughs> I, I knew that. I knew that. I just thought I would ask. I just thought I would ask. All right. So, this episode starts with Worf and Jadzia in the holodeck, and they're, um, they're sparring. They're doing some combat practice. And uh, she's obviously worn something very flattering to attract Worf's attention, which clearly works. Um, and then as they're kind of getting close, they get interrupted because uh, Odo calls to say that a drunk Klingon has uh, appeared on the station and is demanding to see Worf. Worf goes to meet this Klingon, and it's Kern, his brother, who was introduced to us all the way back in Next Generation um, as he was the Klingon exchange officer who comes aboard the Enterprise and really kind of gives everybody but Worf a hard time until he reveals himself. And that kind of sets a chain of events in motion, which leads to uh, the discovery of the Duras family's treachery and their partnership with the Romulans, and ultimately uh, almost Klingon civil war, and a war with the Federation, Worf stepping down from the Federation, and then ultimately accepting discommendation and returning to the Federation. So a lot of things happen when Kern pops up, and you know yeah. what? This time is really no different. Once again, yeah. Kern pops up and brings trouble with him. Yeah. Um, so he's drunk, he's angry, and he demands that Worf perform what's called the Maktovar ritual, which is basically Worf is, has to kill him. Um, so we find out that because of Worf and his, uh, what we saw earlier in the uh, Way of the Warrior episode in the first part of season uh, season four, Worf having sided against Galron in his move uh, to start war with the Cardassians has now received the ultimate dishonor and the family has been stripped of all lands, titles, properties, everything. Now this didn't really affect Worf much because Worf was a Starfleet officer and he lived within the Federation. But Kern, on the other hand, who was a high ranking official, had a seat on the high council, captained his own ship, had lands, had all this stuff. All of that was taken from him because he was Worf's brother. Right. So now that Kern has nothing. He has now decided that the only way he can have his honor restored to him is through this uh, ritual killing practice. Um, Worf is like, I guess we can assume he was against it, but right. he decides to go through with it. He gets right. together the various ceremonial things that are needed to do it. He gets the giant wicked looking dagger. I mean, that thing was just a magnificent blade, but man. And he, right, and, and he stabs, sure. <laughs> and, and he stabs Kern in the chest, effectively killing him. Um, and almost immediately after this happens, Jadzia and Odo arrive in Morph's quarters. Jadzia has uh, Kern beamed to the infirmary where he is saved. And uh, Odo's like, you better hope that he lives because if he's not, you're going to be charged with murder. Kern does live, but this does land Jadzia and Worf uh, smack in front of a very angry Cisco, who uh, delivers a very on-point speech about religious and cultural tolerance 
and right. you know what it means to be in Starfleet, which is he kind of echoes a bit of what Picard had said to Worf also in the Next Generation about um, cultural um, um, leniency, basically. And this is back when Worf beamed aboard uh, uh, Kempex's ship and killed Duras after he after Duras had killed Kalar. Um, you know, the Klingons were like, yeah, matters closed. They did what they had to do. Honor is satisfied. But Picard was like, you are a Starfleet officer. We have all these other uh, civilizations, cultures that have decided to become a part of Starfleet. That means all of that stuff drops at the door. Once you come in and you put on your uniform, you are a part of us now. You got to do things a certain way. Um, basically expressing his disappointment in Morph's decision to kill um, Duras. I wasn't disappointed. I was glad Duras was dead. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, so now we're here with uh, Cisco, who's basically giving them kind of the riot act. He's got he's he's uh, firing off at both Judzia and Morph because they've both taken you know these hardcore approaches to Klingon culture and society, which are definite lefts from what uh, Starfleet would like. And uh, after reading them the riot act, he kicks him out of his office, and he's like, "Yeah, find another way." to solve your family problems. Um, Kern is indignant when he wakes up and realizes that he's alive and not dead and that Worf is not there to finish the ritual. He basically calls Worf the right. like worst Klingon, you know, and uh, this kind of weighs on Worf <laughs> for a bit. Um, he decides that it's time to figure out next steps for Kern. They end up getting Kern a job with um, Odo's security force um, he's pretty good at the job, but then he lets himself get shot. Basically, he tries to commit suicide by Baser in this in this uh, right. particular part of the scene. Odo, realizing that Kern has a death wish, decides to dismiss him from his uh, his charge or whatever, and um, yes, and then kind of send him on his way. Uh, meanwhile, while this is happening, our B plot involves Kira and O'Brien on their way back from doing some survey mission with some Bajorans, and they see a mysterious explosion, and a ship uh, uh, decloaks, and it's a Klingon ship, and the ship pretty much warns them back into Bajoran space. They alert Cisco. Cisco's like, well, we got to figure out what's going on here. Take the Defiant. Go back out. Uh, see what else you can determine with your scans. They do this, and while they're scanning, another explosion occurs, and this time it's on a Klingon battle cruiser, and there's like a huge gaping hole blown in the battle cruiser. Um, wow. They they tow the battle cruiser back to the to Deep Space Nine, and the officers are sitting around talking about what's going on, what's causing the explosions, why are there Klingons hovering just outside of Bajoran space, and they're cloaked. And they are trying to piece it all together, and then that's when Worf realizes it's their minds. They are they are laying uh, cloaked minds just beyond the borders of Bajoran space, and um, they need to put a stop to this before ships run into them and blow up. And basically, if the Klingons are successful in mining this area, they would cut Bajor and D Space Nine off from the rest of the Federation and basically be a perfect choke point for them to begin an all-out war with the Federation if they wanted to. So realizing they've got this issue, they need to get a hold of the plans for the uh, mines. They go to Kern to get this information because Kern was a high-ranking official at one point and he would have had access. He kind of refuses, but Worf helps him to see that this is the right thing that they need to do. So they, you know, disguise themselves, 
go on board the Klingon ship. They find the information that they need, but before they can leave, Kern ends up killing another uh, random Klingon officer who was actually about to kill Worf. This also upsets Worf greatly because apparently he's upset that he wasn't able to see that the man was about to try to kill him, and he realizes that there is something different about him, uh, something that's changed in him that makes him different from other Klingons, including Kern. So now that they have this information, they reveal to the Klingons that they're going to stop them from mining, which they do. But this still leaves them with a question of what to do about Kern. Uh, Worf makes contact with an old family friend who owes them a favor. And they decide to basically continue the genetic modification they had done to help them sneak aboard the Klingon ship in the first place. And they surgically alter uh, Kern's appearance and his genetic makeup. And they completely erase his memory of Worf and who he is as a son of Moke. He is no longer the son of Moke. And he wakes up under um, and is told a new name, which is Rodek, and he leaves with his new father. And um, as he's leaving, he stops and he sees Worf, and he asks if Worf is a part of his family, to which Worf replies, I have no family. And then Kern leaves, he leaves. It's a very sad moment, and then that's the end of the episode. That's it. Worf is now... Well and truly alone. All of his family is essentially dead. He is the only... He's not just the son of Moke. He is Moke. He is Worf Moke. It's not sons of Moke. It's son of Moke. And even that is nothing anymore. I I was a little little sad to read. I was reading the Wikipedia article for this episode in preparation for this uh, recording for us tonight. And it does say that this is the last time we ever see Korn. And I was sad to see that because, of course, I you know there's still... You know, we're in season four. There's they're in season four, right? Yes, yeah, this is the last time that Kern is ever seen again. Right. Um, which I, bothers like, it, it yeah. bothered me for a while um, yeah. because of what happens towards the end of the show and everything else. There are several times where I was like, "What about Kern?" Like it, oh, it will yeah. come up and we'll get there, and there'll be plenty of times where I'll be like, "Yeah, what what about Kern?" But yeah, um, yeah this episode. Uh, just to, I'm just going to go right into it. Like, I've always loved the character of Worf. I, I think that he is... Um, he, the, the development of the character, especially on Deep Space Nine, when it really just hits a whole other level, I think he's just a great character. I always disliked the whole handling of his son, Alexander, and how that all played out. But if you cut that part out of the yeah. Worf character dynamic... Worf is a great character. He was an orphan who was trying to understand himself in relation to the people who raised him and to the culture that he has completely been, you know, alienated from. You know, even when he would go and visit his cousins and so forth, he's told us several times how he just, he didn't fit in. He wasn't the same. We see this several times, even on, you know, the next generation when, um, when he joins Kern. And he, they go to um, whatever planet they were on, and they're everybody's drinking and laughing and carrying on. And Worf is all stand off, and he's like, "Wait a minute, we were just fighting these guys. Like, right. why are we here drinking with them?" And and Kern's like, "Well, this is neutral ground. We're not warriors against each other here. We're just people who are relishing the fact that we're still alive to carry on another day and so forth." And Worf yeah. wants to, okay, now he wants to talk about battle strategy and plan or whatever else. Kern's like, no, we're not doing any of that. Like the the time for work is over. This is enjoyment right. only. And right. Worf just can't seen. seem to, yeah, Worf just can't seem to to get into it, you know. Right. 
And then, um, you know, this episode kind of highlights once again those distinct differences between the two of them. Yes, Worf was upset by the the, the discommendation and the taking of the lands and titles and properties and everything else, but he still views himself as a very honorable man and that he's right. doing the right thing by not just by himself, but also by greater Klingon society as a whole. Now, this is the first time that we've come face to face with someone on the other side of Worf's actions. And, you know, we hear that, you know, how important family is and uh, that kind of dynamic, uh, how it plays out. And this is the first time we've ever got to really see that. We've heard it many, many times, but now we're really getting to see that. And Kern does a great job of hitting home just how different he and Morph really are from each other. Yeah, it's it's said by um, Kern at one point, I wish the two of us had grown up together. I don't care if we had both grown up on Earth, we had both grown up in Klingon society. I don't understand you. Um, and... I, I wish we had grown up together. We we both had the same cultural understandings. Because, yeah, he is really frustrated and upset with Worf's decisions, you know, mm-hmm. his conscience, you know, with going against Galron as the leader of the Empire. Um, even though he himself had objected to the yes. war on the Klingon Council, he also obeyed his leader when the war started. So... Um, we can actually, and just real quick, we can actually go back a bit further and say that, you know, Kern has never been a fan of Gowron. If you remember all the way back in the Next Generation episode where the Duras family was challenging uh, Gowron's claim to the um, High Council, to the Chancellorship, um, he had, Gowron had very little support. And Worf was basically blackmailing Gowron by saying, I can get Kern and the ships that he commands to support yeah, you. That's right. And that's what got Galron interested in listening to what Worf had to say was because he knew he knew who Kern was. He knew of Kern and the battle group that he commanded and his military prowess. He knew who he was. So right. it's clear already that Kern had a pretty substantial standing regardless of his uh, attachment yeah. to, to Worf. Yep. Um, and when Worf went to Kern to get his support, Kern immediately was like, no, I don't like Galron. He's an outsider. Basically, he was like, he's weird and he's gross. I don't want to have anything to do with him. But <laughs> but Worf was like, I'm the elder brother. You will do yes. as I say. Yes. And he did. And now right. here we see yet again repercussions of the actions. Right. Here is Kern being the one dealing with all the fallout. Yeah, and he even says to Worf in this episode, like, you're the elder brother. Tell me what to do. I'm going to obey you. Um, he's really up, upset about it, torn up, depressed. I mean, again, he comes on the station drunk, but, um, it's an interesting dynamic they have, you know, Worf has, and this is part of the episode, Worf has his identity as a Federation officer to keep him going, but War, uh, Kern doesn't. Um, he is only ever a Klingon, and if his Klingon identity is, is destroyed, um, and there's no way for him to... You know, it's interesting. For some reason, Klingon culture doesn't allow Kern to separate himself from Worf in terms of, you know, Worf made a decision. Yeah. Worf was the head of the house. Kern, I mean, maybe he could have betrayed Worf and said, I'm not going to go with Worf. I'm going to follow the emperor and, and, and keep my, you know, like make some sort of, you know, civil war within the house of Moog. But he chose not to, which is interesting. His honor 
is to follow Worf, Worf's decision. So, I, you know, I've thought about that, and, you know, Klingon, the, the caste system and the hierarchy, you know, is very strict, but it does allow for people to make changes when necessary. We've seen this a few times within the society that, you know, when, when the circumstances are drastic enough, you right. can make you can make alterations. Right. In this case here, I think that Kern was stuck because there were no other sons of Moat. He they were right. trying to hold on to what was left of their house after their mother and father were killed. And assuming there were any other children of Moat, we're assuming they were all wiped out. As far as we know, only Worf and Kern are left. And not only is Worf the elder brother, but Worf is also the only one who has a son. Kern has no children. Mm. So because of this, this also places a greater importance on Worf's status because if something were to happen to him, then it falls not just to Kern, but also to Alexander. Alexander. And Alexander, as the only son of the firstborn child, would have a higher ranking. And so I think that this is another reason why Kern was kind of stuck because under any other circumstances, as the secondborn... War, he would have been well within his rights to challenge Worf if he felt like Worf was making bad decisions for the family. And right. that it was his job now to lead the rest of the family. But there was no rest of the family. We right. know that Klingons do promotions through ritual, through ritual combat. Right. You yeah. can attain a higher rank if the person ahead of you has been deemed incompetent. And then you, you can't just call them incompetent, but you also have to defeat them. In battle, Worf has told us this. He told us this on Next Generation. We've seen this on a couple of Klingon ships. When Riker did the Klingon cultural exchange, this was how things were run there as well. So we know this is kind of the things that are in place for how their society works. So I think that in this case, that's why uh, Kern was so uh, devoted to doing what Worf wanted, because there was only two of them. And if right. they had any hope of reestablishing their family and improving the lineage and hoping that Alexander comes along and comes into his own and has a lineage to, to work with and has the lands, titles, and everything else, it would be dependent on the two of them right. working together and holding on to everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I should also mention in, in Kern's defense here is that Galron publicly humiliated Kern by stripping the Moog family of all of their titles and possessions and land. So there's, mm-hmm. there wasn't really a route for Kern to say, well, I, I'm going to do my own thing. And yeah. no, no, that actually wasn't an option for him. I should give him a break. Um, but still though, I guess my point though is still that he could have on some level, like he didn't have to come to the station. I would think and come to wharf and say, you know, I'm just going to obey your commands. I, I, I would think that there's the possibility, but again, I guess it's just Klingon culture doesn't allow for it, of him saying, I'd rather work as a deckhand on a ship than be uh, well, cast out of Klingon yeah. society. But I don't know if that's a fair Klingon. Well, I think, I think that he, I think that you're right, that he could have. But we have to remember the kind of man that Kern is and was. He was a very powerful person. Right. You know, he had not just the lands and the title and everything else, but before they had all of that, he was a captain in the Klingon military. He had not only his own ship, but he commanded several other ships. Right. So 
yes, the alternative was he could still live and probably eke out a living, you know, scrubbing plasma conduits on a ship somewhere or whatever. But that would be such a mighty fall for a person who was once a commander, a leader of soldiers, to suddenly be the lowest of the low on the ship. He had he would have no rank. He would have yeah. no responsibility. He yeah. would just be this pariah that they stared and gawked at and probably, you know, beat yeah. up on a bit. Honor and, is such a thing in Klingon culture yeah. that if you lose it, there's no way to try and hide it from it. Right, um, you can't hide the fact you've lost your honor and you can't, and it takes a long time for you to rebuild it, almost to the point of it being futile, that once it's right. been stripped from you in such a public and demeaning manner, there's very little you could do save a miracle Right. To get it back, which is why they have, you know, this ritual suicide here. Right. Once your honor has been stripped away from you so publicly and so completely, there right. is nothing for you to do. And again, this is something that Worf would have also had to deal with, but Worf wasn't in Klingon society. He right. he came in, he you know, he he's just visiting. You know, he just came in, he you know Yeah. Ate the sandwich <laughs> and then Dipped out and went back That's to the Enterprise true. or wherever it was, you know. Yeah. And and they were happy to take him back. You know, he resigned his res, he resigned his commission, um, right. and left the Enterprise. They did a whole walking out ceremony for him and everything. And then he was like, hey, you know what? It's kind of hot in here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. go back." And they just took him right back. No fuss, yeah. no muss. Yeah. And then he does it here. He does it in this episode, or not in this episode, but um, you know, in. Uh, the Way of the Warrior, the the first episode of season four, and Galron's right. like, "Come join me. This is your time. This is it." You know, and he's like, "Yeah," and then he's like, "Uh, no, never mind." Yeah. So yeah, yeah. and I mean, he this dabbling that he does has a ripple effect that we're only now just getting to see with Kern. Which, by the way, right. in case you did not know, Kern is played expertly by the great Tony Todd. We've seen him multiple times in Trek, not just as Kern. But it's other aliens yep. throughout his tenure on uh, Trek. And he's even played the older Jake Sisko uh, from, from our episode favorite episode. Of this season, the, yeah. Uh, yes, The Visitor. Great, yeah. great episode. Um, right. And on a side note, I did not realize exactly how tall Tony Todd is. But just for reference, Worf, Michael Dorn, is like 6'3", 6'4". In the scenes where the two of them are standing close yeah. to, you know, face to face, yeah, Kern is towering over Worf. So yeah. either they he's put least, lifts in his shoes, or yeah. the man is my height. He's, he's, at, he's least, at least, yeah. at least two inches, if not three or four, than taller than, yeah. than Michael Dorn is. Yeah. Now I, I have not looked up Tony Todd's height. I don't know how tall he is. I do know that Michael Dorn is again six three, six four. So yeah, he's. Um, I was thinking they must have. He must be wearing those big Klingon boots or something. But even when <laughs> he wasn't in the Klingon uniform, he was taller than Worf. When he had on the Bajoran uniform, and they were saying right. that he was he was significantly taller than Worf. So right. yeah, Tony Todd must be, um, yeah, I would say probably six eight, maybe taller. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely tall. But the thing I really appreciated seeing him again as Kern because it's been a while, obviously was having just seen him as Jake Sisko, the older Jake Sisko, seeing his his emotional range. The character of Kern and Jake Sisko are completely different characters. 
And, yes, they are. Uh, when you know, yes, when, when I knew that it was the same actor, I was able to see the, the you know, the, the similarities, the, you know, the, the, the voice. Yeah. Certain yeah, intonations. Voice, yeah. But the characters are so different. The emotional old man who is dying and expressing his, his regret of his father's death. And I was sending, I spent my whole life trying to save my father is very different from the Klingon Kern who is, I mean, Disgusted the, the, by things comfortable and soft. Yeah, exactly. Great point. And you know, Klingons are just a different culture. Again, I said it before, but one of the things I love about the Star Trek shows have, have been learning to appreciate Klingon culture. But it's also a great thing that the, the actors that get to play these Klingons get to have a d- different dynamic range with by playing those types of characters. Uh, and yeah, he does a. I think he does a good job being able to play two different types of characters uh, as we've seen in this very season. Again, it was episode two of season four that he was playing Jake Sisko. So it was only what? 11 episodes ago, 13 episodes ago. We saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was, it's, it's great to see him um, doing, doing all that. Um, we got to see more of Dax. Finally. I feel like it's yes, been a while. We, it, <laughs> it, it has, Dax. it has been a while. We get to see Dax, and once again, you know, it's in this this Klingon light here. You know, I her her insight into Klingon culture kind of alerts us that there is something going on. You know, she's questioning uh, Quark about Worf being in the bar earlier and what Worf wanted, and right. he reveals that Worf wanted some spice. It was called Adanji, and so right. the way she responds to it, we know that Adanji has to have some kind of significance, and because of what we heard earlier, we know that it must be in connection to the Moktavor ritual, so right. that I must be, you know, yeah. yeah, and so now that's why we know that there is a dangerous element to this ritual, which it's a Klingon ritual. Are there any other kind <laughs> to be of fair, rituals for them? The opening scene between them is them basically arguing over which better, a batleth or a or a, or a mechleth. And the batleth, they, which is the standard weapon that we see all the Klingons use all the time, right? And then the mechleth is kind of like the short sword that Worf carries, and they're they're duking it out to see yeah, which is better. They're arguing better. over their 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 what's better by having a fight and. I, I guess he breaks her. Her Worf wins. He breaks yeah. the batleth. He and hooks his... it into the. There's a little cleft on the mechleth. He hooks it in, and then with his strength, he's able to snap now, her uh, uh, batleth. Yeah, Again, highlighting just how strong Worf really is. Yes. We talked about this before, and um, you know we're supposed to believe that the batleths are a very heavy, very resilient weapon and for him to be able to use his other weapon and with a little bit of leverage snap it so completely the way that he did just highlights that Klingons are a lot different they're a lot different than we are Um, but yeah we could talk about that scene right now well, um, I, in, the, in the moment, I'm forgetting who had which weapon. Was it Dax with the bat? Dax left? had the bat left. Dax had the bat left. Worf had the mech left. He's he's frequently okay. had that mech. Because he was saying he's, that he feels like it's an intimidating weapon, but it makes people overconfident. That was his argument, that's what, right? That, that's what he says about the bat left. He says that because she says that the bat left, with its size and overall maneuverability, would make it makes it a better field weapon. Worf. Right. Um, refutes this or rebuts this by saying that's a classic argument but I feel that um, it's people use it because of the intimidation factor and the intimidation makes them 
overconfident, whereas the Metleth allows him greater control and versatility, and he right. can do more. Right. And so, yeah, and so then she's just kind of highlighting that, yeah, he does his own little bit of, you know, intimidation and overconfidence stuff. With the growling you know. and the growling. Yeah, which is and basically she, kind of signifying that she's she likes it. She's kind of into it, you know. And right, then, and he uh, says, you're trying to distract me with your outfit. And yeah, she's like, oh, your... you think I wore this for you, huh? <laughs> Just right. An interesting which, comment. Which then we see as kind of an aside when she turns away from him that she did. She yeah. wanted to get his attention, and she yeah. was glad that she got it. Yeah, and so were, then she, they were yeah. getting close there as they, yeah, were and then they, yeah, they're talking and they're close and everything else, and it was clear that she was kind of, you know, yeah, putting out that I'm interested vibe, and he was certainly picking up on it when they got right. interrupted by, uh, by yeah. Odo. The sexual so, tension. Um, this is the well, I guess when the in the first episode where Warp was introduced in Deep Space Nine, there was some slight sexual tension because she said something in Klingon that she refused to. Translate for the Translate. rest of us. Yeah. Yes. But this is the first time since then I would say that we've ever had any sort of sexual tension between the two of them. And again, I I know that they end up married or something. I don't know all the details yet, of course. Shut up, David. No spoilers. Yeah. Uh, well, no spoilers on this thirty-year-old show. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. Was, but yeah, I, I mean, this is kind that. of the first time that we really get to see them together again um, in a non-work setting. And seeing this kind of interplay between the two of them. And we can see she's obviously very, you know, very playful with him and his deadpan delivery of everything. And then kind of having to backtrack over his words a bit, how that plays out as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, they they work. I I think they work. You know, I I think it's an interesting um, pairing choice. I don't know (laughs) if this was like always the plan for them. And maybe we'll discover that as we go through a bit more of this and can dig through some of the the stuff related to these various episodes. Um, Actually, uh, uh, in reading just real quick, I um, just learned that that's exactly what this was. This was a test to see if uh, Michael Dorn and Terry Farrell had any on-screen chemistry. They they Uh weren't sure how these two characters would work because him being an actual Klingon and her being our, you know, before he got there, she was kind of our Klingon aficionado. And so to pair them together to see how this would play out. And it turned out that it worked um, very well. They said that they says that the writers were delighted to discover that they had uh, great chemistry. And that's when the push began to um, make them into a a couple. They weren't sure how far down the rabbit hole of coupleship they were going to go at this time. But they did know they were going to at least explore it. and they, uh, you know, wanted to make this kind of a clear departure from anything that Worf had cooking up on on the Enterprise. So, <laughs> gotcha. Well, it's interesting yeah. that um, we have seen the two of them together in the in the sort of Kalis episode back on, uh, just a couple episodes ago, episode nine of this season. They help Core find the sort of Kalis, and they were working together, but there wasn't any you know, sexual tension there between them. They're just helping him out. Um, at least I don't remember anything really of that type. Um, no, they the didn't. first time that again, since the opening of season four, that there was any, there's any, there's been anything like this. Um, so yeah, I mean, it makes sense that they're, you know, trying to find ways to get their characters to have interesting 
dynamics and relationships with each other. We got Odo having a love triangle with Kira. Um, poor, poor Cisco's love life is kind of rocky <laughs> in general. Um, but uh, yeah, so. Um, but we have to really talk more about uh, Kern and the final choice that we have yes, made for so, him. So the great dilemma, he, he the man wants to die, but they can't kill him. Right. So wiping his memory, is that the same thing effectively as, as killing him? I mean, I guess you could argue that it is if you believe that your in- existence is the sum of your memories but if you believe that you're more than that then no uh this is just kind of a band-aid to a bigger problem right um i'm not sure really where i fall on it i think ultimately i like it for the fact that it um before i knew it anyway it left open the possibility of a return for kern like if Worf was somehow able to once again redeem himself in the eyes of the klingon people and reestablish all of his you know lands titles and so forth that then they'd have a way to bring kern back but then it becomes meaningless the sacrifice that they make if it's just able to oh every time that you you know you mess up we just wipe your brain yeah bashir is very very like you know, he he doesn't really protest all that much in like Yeah, Bashir sure that's that's another thing. He he does not protest. Right. He he really doesn't. He's just like, Are you sure you wanna do this? Okay. Right. Lay yeah. down. I mean, this is not quite the same Bashir, I would say, who in guess like was it season two where um what's the Cardassian on the um on the station? Um Garrick. Garrick, yeah, Garrick is having his kind of mental breakdown. Mental breakdown, breakdown yeah. And he's all his like I'm not control gonna let chip. You... Yeah. Yeah, and um, not only is he not, I mean, he saves Kern's life when he's brought to the infirmary, but he doesn't have any sort of strong reaction to Worf of like, I can't believe Klingons would do this. You know, I, I I'm totally against it, or nothing like that. Like, I'm not gonna leave you alone in here with him, or any anything like that. And then yeah, again, he like, all right, we're gonna wa- we're gonna wipe his memories, and not just like we're gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna wipe his memories. And facially restruction and, and DNA. I mean, talk about like we're really yeah. stretching how, how we could do this. Like we're changing the DNA structure. I mean, even the four hour fingerprint DNA changing was was an interesting sci fi thing, but to make it a permanent change is like, whoa, hold on. Um, I mean So okay, yeah, that's but, I mean that's obviously where we're just gonna, you know, just say that's that's future future tech Trek well, tech, to be fair know. to Star Trek, I will say that they have the idea of facial reconstruction surgery being a thing. Like, you can even, like, as we've seen, Kira was made to look like a Cardassian, and we've had people look like Romulans and look like Klingons before. So we know that something like this is possible. It's not the first time something like this has happened. It, yeah. Yeah, changing so, people's appearance to look like any other kind of alien or whatever is certainly not new in Trek. Right. Um, normally, that's just superficial. It's not, right. you know, changing, you know, DNA structures and so forth. And we've also right. seen the erasure of memory for the sake of protecting the Prime Directive. We've seen that happen many times right. um, in Next Generation and Voyager and uh, the original series. They've all done it at some point, you know, to, to protect the core of the Federation here. Um, right. Now, 
I can see where some people would say that it was an immoral act to do this to Kern because he would have been able to, he's still able to function. He would, he just needed to learn how to cope with his new status in life and find right. a new way to fulfill himself. Um, but we have to remember, again, he's Klingon. And right. their culture views all of these things entirely differently than right. we do. Um, again, to highlight this, we can go back to the Next Generation episode where Worf gets hit in the back by the very big barrel that's up way high for no reason other than to kill yeah. somebody. And it hits him and breaks his spine and he's paralyzed and right. he decides that the other thing he can do at this point is uh, commit suicide. And right. he wants Riker to do it. And right. even in that, you know, in that moment, you know, uh, Beverly was adamant about not doing it. She's, you know, he yes. can regain up to 60% of his mobility. He can live a happy, productive life. There's no reason for this. And again, Picard argues with her. He's like, you are looking at him as a human trying to justify why he shouldn't do this thing. He is not human. His right. culture doesn't view these things the same way that we do. And yes, right. Worf was raised by humans, but we know he has always turned to Klingon society. He right. has always tried to do things in the most Klingon way possible. So right. whenever he can, that's correct. So again, there was no reason for us to think that he would not do this otherwise. Right. Um, when it comes to performing this ritual, of course he was going to perform the ritual. I know that it was a shocker to see him stab Kern. There were so many people, I'm sure, who didn't think he was actually going to do it. I have to admit, I was one of few that when it came up, I knew he was going to do it. I yeah. knew he was going to do it. Because I, I, I have to say, I was a little not, but keep going. I will, uh, sorry, I'm interrupting. Well, only, only because, only because, again, he wants to be Klingon. He wants to be viewed as a proper Klingon so bad, and right. he recognized that Kern was right. The way that Kern laid out everything for him, Kern was right. So the only thing to do was the Moktavor ritual. There was no right. other option. So yes, Worf was going to do it. He might have been upset by it, but he was going to do it. And now at the end, when they do this memory erasure, it's a way for him to kind of uh, walk the line once again. He, that even more says he's tried to walk, you know, straddling that line between Federation and Klingon. Um, and he felt like he had done it so well for a long time. This right. gives him that ability once again. He's able to honor Kern by granting his request and, you know, basically killing him. He, he's right. the one who authorizes the procedure. Right. But Kern, or the, the body anyway, is still alive. He's still there. He's walking and talking. No murder was truly committed. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he, he. it's the best of both worlds. It satisfies both. As far as right. the Klingons are concerned, Kern is dead. Right. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah, are your memories the soul, some of who you are? The real, of course, I think part of the answer to that question is, are his memories retrievable? Because Bashir definitely leaves an opening there. He says, it's almost impossible for the memories to come back. And that's right. why I, that's why I was like, ah oh, yeah, we're going to see Kern again. Um I mean, I as an example, I love the the Born Identity movie. Um you probably have seen it. The Born Identity, Matt Damon, mm. the whole premise of the story is he's forgot his memories. Very common trope in, in fiction. You know, amnesia, spy, has abilities, has a history and he has to figure out what it is. And I feel like 
this episode does a decent job of explaining how he might not have to really worry about trying to get his true memories back. He has someone who's going to help explain a false history to him. But I feel like, golly, that is really difficult. I mean, do Klingons have pictures? How are they going to fake pictures from, you know, when he was a child? You know, father, I'll follow you. So it's it's a stretch for me is what I'm getting at. It's like the, the way to put a bow around this by the end of the episode is we have to have him go off with someone who is going to help keep the deception real. Um, yeah. And, okay, fine. We're gonna. That's how we're going to do it. The only problem is, is that um, it seems like it could fall apart with, you know, it's a house of cards in terms of how easy it would be to find out there's a problem with all this. Like, there's got to be someone out there who's like, you've never had a son. That doesn't look like your son, even if you had one. Like, there's got to be someone out there being like, you look a lot like that Kern guy who was on the High Council once upon a time. But, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I... Now, I mean, we're, we're kind of left to believe that, you know, like, again, the family that he goes to join, he says it's a small but proud family. They're not... So they're not, you know, up on the radar the way, way say, the, the Moog family was at one point. Right. So I think that there's a greater possibility of them getting away with it because of that. You know, there's right. no one... Just there's not enough eyes on them. Right. Um, right. Also, we don't know how many sons, daughters, whomever <laughs> this guy has, you know... Yeah. We don't know, and if this is one my had, long you know, lost son, I just found right. him. I didn't know where he was, but yeah. And it doesn't really seem like Klingons do keep, you know, facial records. Everything's kind of done on word of mouth and establishment of your honor, and people vouching for you along the way. And it seems like as long as enough people say you are who you say you are, they're kind of okay with it. Right. You know, so yeah, as long as there's you know nothing really you know to red flag anything, it's like you know, oh this guy you know. He's here's another son of whatever that guy's name was. I forget what the name of the family was that he joined. Another, and they just like another one. How many does that make for him? I don't know, 17, 18. I don't know. He's got a lot. He's a small house, but he's going to populate himself into right. a big one. <laughs> but as long as but as long as everybody knows who that guy is and knows he's got a lot of children, they don't really care. They don't really right. seem to care about anything else. Yep. That is enough for them. We know him. We know his family is has a prolific history. That's that's right. enough. That's it. Um, so yeah, I mean, they do leave it open for the possibility of Kern coming back. As you've already spoiled for us, we know that, um, he doesn't. Um, but still, I think that was, (laughs) yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that was another kind of wink and a nod Trek thing. We never really truly closed the book on anybody. We, we always leave some kind of. (laughs) <laughs> heck even if you see a dead body because tasha died and then we saw her daughter pop up as Sela yeah. later on so yeah i mean there's just yeah that doesn't even that doesn't mean anything they always there's always ways hell spock has died so many times it's ridiculous i mean it's just <laughs> you know and that guy just keeps popping up so right. yeah i just yeah no one's yeah. death is truly final in trek if they want you back they'll get you back so right um yeah but yeah, I still think that at least for this, for this, um, what this was, um, I I think I like how they handled it. I feel like it was very sad that once again, Worf is called upon to make these sacrifices to kind of, you know, in a way, in a, in a very broad way, protect the Klingon Empire, but also protect the Federation. And he gets like no thanks for it, you know? Right. 
he's he is now effectively averted a war of the Klingons against the Federation, which regardless of whether or not the Federation would have won, it would have been costly. You know, he's now helped them to avert this war. He's saved all the the countless Klingon lives to do it uh, as well. And now, uh, once again, like not only has his land and title, it's like they just keep taking stuff from him. He took his land. He took his title. His family, his his mother and father were murdered um, when he was a kid and everything else. And now you've taken his brother. Can somebody give this man something, please? Like somebody... Please recognize that this guy is awesome, and he keeps right. sacrificing stuff for you all, and right. no one ever says thank you. Right. So, yeah, yeah gets on my nerves. And maybe that's why I like him so much. I'm like, man, everybody's just he's, – he's so underappreciated. And then when, even yeah. when you talk about him, you know, the first thing anybody wants to bring up is, oh, well, I mean, Warp was a crappy father, you know, whatever. He was suddenly saddled with a kid that he knew nothing about that he, he never wanted. Yeah. You know, like there's face, a definitely drop that on him. Kalar, yeah, Kalar got hard. pregnant and and dipped out. Right, she didn't didn't yeah. stay in contact. She didn't tell him. She didn't do anything. She just showed yeah. up with a three year old. She was, a and was like, oh yeah, here's your daddy. Yeah, yeah. She was a great character, but that was definitely a, a real jerk move. Right, <laughs> right. You know, and then uh, she went and got herself murdered, and now he's left with this kid that he had no. No expectation. He had, he had no, no time to prepare. I mean, nothing. No yeah. no gestation period to get used to the fact that, oh, I'm going to be a father in a couple of months. No, right. Nothing. He had nothing. Suddenly he had, he didn't even just have a baby. He had a walking, talking, three, five-year-old kid, however old Alexander yeah. was when he was, you know, dropped in his yeah, quarters. Yeah, I mean. You know? It seems like the Klingon kids, when I think about it, grow up pretty fast because his son seemed to be they like do eight grow. by the yeah, yeah, they do grow time. pretty fast. I mean, by the end of by the end of next generation, I would say that Alexander was yeah eight to ten years old. Yeah, but the show's yeah. only on for seven seasons, so yeah, not a problem. Yeah. It's Klingons grow differently. Fine, whatever. Trickery. Um, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They age differently. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, good. Uh, I'm just gonna say the other thing I like with this episode. I did like that this episode had a B plot. I think again, the last episode suffered from not having a B plot. Uh, but this B plot is that the Klingons are trying to plant a um, minefield outside of um, Bajoran space. Great military tactic. If it had worked, yeah. man. Uh, yeah, uh, Worf convinces Kern to help him infiltrate uh, the Klingon ship by saying, like, oh, the Klingons would never win against the Federation. They might, they might drag out into some long civil war of sorts, but ultimately the Federation will win, and, and Kern agrees. That's why he voted against the war against the Cardassians. But um, I do have to critique the B plot though, because I feel like the Klingon ship that gets damaged and then they tow it back to D Space Nine. I don't think the Klingons would have gone willingly. I think they should have said, "We're going to tow you back." Like the Klingons were like no, don't take us. And they're like, nope, we're going to help you out. We don't have the resources here. You need our help. We're going to drag you away. And um, I wish it had been just a little more confrontational in that moment because okay. I feel like if they're trying to plant a, a minefield and trying to hold out and, you know, not, they don't want to admit secretive to and don't want the Federation to know about it. Right. Why would yeah. you give them access to your battle cruiser? Exactly. Because so Worf and, 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 um, and Kern are able to do the do the infiltration, but I feel like no Klingon would have just gone quietly into that good night, if you know what I mean. Like they would have, if that's a military also, exercise they're trying to protect, 
They would have fought. Also, I also wondered, why did they take Worf and Kern? Like, I mean, yes, they're Klingons, but why didn't Odo go? Right, yeah. Odo could have slipped, slipped in and out. No We've problem. Seen him do that now, yeah. right now, I could see you know the use of Kern because Kern had military codes that were still yes. useful, so right. I could see that. But why wasn't it Kern and Odo paired together? Right, you know, Other Odo than... could have kept him in line, yeah. and then the even then the um the officer who comes in and confronts them later on, him attempting to kill Odo would have been nothing. Right, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't see why that that didn't happen. Now I get it that this was again, it's a it's a Moog Sons of Moog episode. We need to feature warp and so forth. But at the same time, I'm just I'm just saying, there were other ways they could have gone about accomplishing their mission. Right. Um, that wouldn't have required both of them, those particular two. Going. Yeah, I'm not opposed to Worf and Kern doing it together, other for the plot of the episode at the very least. My bigger problem is the whole idea that you know. Worf didn't see the guy was pulling a knife. He couldn't see it in his eyes. It's a Klingon intuitive trait to know when someone... It's like, wait a minute, come on. Don't... I, I hate when... I, I hate it when, when races are given too many stereotypical things. Like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. Klingons can, like, see it in someone's eyes? Even a, an alien race, even? Like, they can always so, tell? Yeah, that's that a, seems... yeah, that's one of those... Um... Uh, warrior um, training instinct things that's kind of a rip on you know Japanese uh, um, ninjas and what's the other ones? Samurai. Man, I can't believe I forgot. Yes, yes. Being able to like size up your opponent and know when right. you're going to strike and be I, in their mind. I would mind have rather and... that moment have been that Worf realizes something and just tries to disarm the guy and Kern just kills him. Like, Kern... Maybe Kern's being careless well, now. He's he's like, if I'm going to commit to this path, I'm going to fully commit. I'm not going to be like you, Worf, and try and pull a Federation-type stun move. I don't do stun... You know, I don't set my phaser to stun. I set it to kill kind of moment. Um, I, I liked it because it highlighted how, like, the, again, the difference between Worf and Kern, that Worf is, all of his actions are from a person who has studied everything there is to study about Klingon culture. He's right. absorbed all of that. Whereas Kern is a person who's lived it. He's right. practiced it. It's instinctual right. for him. It's not a second nature thought to him. This is this is that's his whole life. So right. he was able to. So when Worf is addressing this officer, he's doing it from this very you know this kind of bookish, studied approach to Klingon culture. If right. I shout you down and claim to be of a superior rank, and I dress you down in a certain way, then this guy, then the expectation is that he is going to cower and back down and we will then be able to carry on doing what we've got to do. Whereas Kern's like, that only works like maybe 25% of the time. The other time they're just going to fight you. And you, you didn't even see it. He was so ready to attack you. You didn't even notice. So yeah, I, I liked it for that part, kind of further highlighting this distinction between the two of them. And and Worf goes on to kind of illuminate on that, you know, and he says the same thing, you know, I was looking him right in his face and I didn't see that he was ready to attack me. Take out the whole he was ready to kill me and, and 
change it because Klingons use attack and kill interchangeably. <laughs> so if you take that out and just be like, I I was right in front of him, and I couldn't tell by the way he was standing and staring and the way he was talking to me that he was preparing himself to attack me. Right. I'm a trained I'm a trained warrior officer myself, and I couldn't see that this yeah. guy standing directly in front of me was getting ready to attack me. Whereas Kern, who was three feet away, partially blocked by my body, right. could see that this guy was getting ready to attack me, and he saved my life. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, again, interesting dynamic. I'm sad that it's gone, but uh, yeah. there it is. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the whole Klingon aspect of Worf continues to play out. Um, I'm assuming we'll have plenty of opportunities to see how he yes yes you know, he will how he does, does his own thing but um yeah so this is this kind of ahead. also goes back into one of those things i talk about uh, a lot which is filler episodes this is an episode that it, it does kind of obliquely play into the larger overall plot of deep space nine but at the same time we don't have a whole lot here that's going to that is dependent upon a whole lot of anything else. It's great information for us that will come into play later through several other episodes, but it doesn't directly reference the episode that came before it or the episode that comes after it. Um, so it's just, a, again, it's a nice filler episode, but yeah. it helps us to understand Worf better, to understand yeah. Jadzia and their development better, uh, Cisco's stance on kind of the same issue here better. We get these greater understandings of all these characters because of this kind of episode. Right. This is something that I feel like is entirely lacking in New Trek because we don't have a season that is 22, 24, sometimes 26 episodes long anymore right. we've got 10 or 12 or sometimes 13 episode right. seasons so now every episode has to be this high octane emotional roller coaster that just you know it hits you every single time and, and it gets to the point right. where you're totally desensitized to what's going on and there's no connection to the characters that you have been watching and then i say all this because i was recently talking about discovery and that was one of the main complaints about the show was that they tried to like heavily assault us with this emotional whatever for certain characters only to then kill the character. There was a character called uh, called Arium on Discovery and they did this. And there was this whole lead up to the character all in one episode where we see her, you know, get engaged. And then she's got this accident, which kind of makes her like basically a robot. And then she, you know at the very end ends up kind of halfway saving the day before they have to like sacrificially kill her. So you had this whole thing where you were supposed to like really emote and connect to this character only to watch them die. And so everybody was like, well, this just, it really kind of sucks. Like I, you know, I, I, there was no chance for me to really connect with the character. And I'm like, that's because we don't have episodes where we would have watched her maybe talk about her engagement party or what her wedding was like, or I don't know, maybe even done the wedding on the ship or something. They've done that before. Yeah. And then there was another yeah. character that everybody seems to really like from Discovery, uh, Saru. And, um, you know, they talk about how great that character development is. And I'm like, yeah, but Saru was in every episode. He, so you get to see more and more of him all the time. He's consistently right. in every episode. So yes, you get the development. So so we miss out on that by them shortening everything down. And so when people say that Discovery is not a great show, I'm like, it's not that it's not a great show. We just need more of it. 
it would actually be a better show if we got more stuff like yeah. this. And this is yet another great example. So that's my little discovery rant tie-in there. Yeah, I definitely agree that this way of telling stories where it's you get more time to be slow about your storytelling means you get to water the storytelling. Whereas mm-hmm. in, as you just described it, you plant the seed and you're like, you got that camera zoomed in on it and you're watching. Right. It's like a time lapse. It's a yeah. time lapse. They've sped it up. Yes. We watched them put yeah. the seed in the, in the, in the pot. And then it's just, it's sprouting already. Right. And then it's dead by the end yeah. of the episode. As opposed you're to the magic like, of like turning right. around and coming back and Hey, the plant is now blooming. Uh, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was a little seed, was, and now it's sprouting, and now it's blooming, yeah. and yeah. yeah. It's a, it's it's a totally, it, and and they do it because you know I understand that production costs have you know skyrocketed and salaries being what they are and everything else, but at the same time it's just like this is why the shows don't last because you force us to try to make these connections to characters and then it's just not there. And so we've got all these great characters who had great potential in the beginning, but then it's wholly squandered because we never have enough time to watch them actually grow and develop. And even the characters that we do get to see beyond a certain select few, the changes that they end up making are such huge leaps from one episode to the next. It doesn't make sense. So the connection that you made one week is now gone the next week. So you need things that kind of gradually give you that bit of, you know, that that sense of passage of time and people changing with it and then overall consistency. And, you know, highlight great characters to do that who were secondary characters who then became primary focus characters. Miles O'Brien is a great example of this. He started out as unnamed tech chief number whatever on the Enterprise. Um... On the pilot, uh, the pilot episode of Next Generation, and now we see him as Chief of Operations, Miles O'Brien, because they did all these things that sprinkled in his story throughout all of the intervening years. Right. Nog is another example. When Deep Space Nine first starts, he's a small-time thief helping be lookout for other thieves to steal things. And we watched him grow from being a thief to someone who couldn't read to learning to read to understanding responsibility to staying out of trouble and working and finally accepted into Starfleet Academy. He's off yeah. at the Academy right now. Yeah. Great character development that didn't happen all in one episode or or anything like that. We it was it was a B plot actually, but it yeah. actually turned out to be the better story in the episode when he finally gives his speech to Cisco about why he wants to be in Starfleet. But we needed all of these episodes to get us to kind of be like, oh, look at this little scamp trying to change yeah. his ways. Isn't isn't he great? <laughs> all that yeah. is now gone, gone yeah. in the new Trek stuff, completely right. gone. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, just another one of my reasons for why I think the Discovery has great potential and people should go and watch it or go back and watch it and pay better attention to it. And, um, you know, really just say we don't need less of that show. We need more. We need more. Gotcha. All right, well, I've thoroughly taken us off topic and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and to the end of the episode. Um yeah. But, yeah, final thoughts on the Sons of Moke. What do you think? Uh, I'm sad the character of Kern will be gone. Um, I do think he was a great, again, foil for Worf. Um, yeah, it's one of those episodes that I I have some small critiques about. Again, is, is this solution for Kern 
you know, losing his memory, is that a, a good solution, a realistic solution? But um, Worf is a great character. Learning more about Klingons is always fun. Um, there was a decent B-plot to keep the action going while the main story was happening. And it tied in. It wasn't like a B-plot that just happened all by itself, and then we just, you know, back and forth. You know, it tied in the two stories together by the end. Um, so, yeah. Um, not perfect, but good. Okay. Well, like I said, I, I find this episode a very interesting episode. I like the overall development that we get here for Worf. Um, and just kind of seeing him, you know, once again, just kind of being on the outs with everybody. You know, Cisco's not too thrilled with him right now. He's lost his brother, so forth and so on. Um, um, but yeah, I do overall like this episode. Well, I guess um, before we end, yeah. I guess I, got, I, I forgot to say, yeah, the whole idea of Picard versus Cisco's reaction. Do you think oh, yeah, Picard we didn't do it, Picard. yelled at Worf? Do you think Picard would have yelled at Worf? Oh, I think that he, I think that considering their history and this being, would have been, I guess, like the second or third time that Worf has chosen Klingon culture over Federation. Starfleet. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think Picard would have dismissed him. I think he oh, would have. That would have been like a I, I, yeah, type thing. I think he would have discharged him and just been like, you, wow. you can't. Uh, because cause Picard is so hardcore about the rules, and this would have been, again, the second or third time that he's talked to Worf about this particular issue. Do you think, I think Worf... that? Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. I think that even if, whether, whether Kern lived or died, I think... Uh, I think that Picard would have dismissed him if if he didn't wow. dismiss him outright from from Star from Starfleet just to start just discharged him court martialed him whatever it is I think he would have placed him on prolonged leave and ordered him off the station or off the ship wow. and been like don't come back until you guys have worked all of this out completely <laughs> yeah so if if Worf and Kern had you know gone away to some location in private. And done the ritual in some private area, and then Worf came back, and Kern didn't come back. Do you think that would have been acceptable? Like, oh no, well, I, oh, he would have. You did your Klingon culture stuff away from the station, away from the Enterprise. I, I can, I don't have to know what happened, or no, because I think that Picard would have known anyway. Whether Worf told him, yeah, we just you know, hopped over to planet whatever and i stabbed him and buried him i <laughs> yeah. uh, you know even whether he tells him or not Warp picard would have known when when warp showed up without kern yeah. picard would have known and even then i think he would have come to Worf and been like i don't think that you belong in starfleet anymore i, I just kind of a aside in Worf's quarters you know you're, come in and be like you're trying to be klingon and that just can't this type of yeah, behavior yeah. can't gel with federation yeah. culture. Yeah, once again, once again, your your Klingon beliefs have come up against what you what you represent as a federation, as a Starfleet officer. Um, once again, I'm having to kind of tell you that you know we've got all these other cultures who put all of that stuff aside when they sign up and be a member of Starfleet. It's not just about being a member of the Federation. You have gone one step further and you are a member of Starfleet, the front, right. the, the face of the Federation. So right. if you can't Do if you, you can't put those cultural differences aside, you can't be here. And despite you saying yes you can, it's clear you can't, so Right. 
Do you Please. think the Federation Klingon war was inevitable then? Because Federation and, and Klingon culture, as much as they've tried to gel, just never can truly um, mesh? No. I don't think it's inevitable. Uh, well, I guess I'd say yes and no. I think that initially it, there was, it was inevitable there would be some kind of conflict because... Klingons seem to attack what is unknown to them. They they have this fear of the other. And so out of a fear of being perceived as weak, they would have attacked the Federation. But once the Federation responded and showed them that they were uh, a force to be reckoned with, right. um, it would have taken some time. And yes, a lot of people probably would have died. But I think that a, a, a truce would have been established. Well, that's kind of um, what, what we see, right. and that's kind of what we see in in Discovery. I know that you haven't, you know, watched it, but that's kind of the whole point of the first Klingon uh, human war is that um, the Klingons kept viewing humans as weak. In fact, they didn't even view them as people; they viewed them as another food source. <laughs> so, you know, that was kind of the major part of their their conflict there, and it gets to a point where they have to kind of prove that not only are we you know, not food, but we're, we're strong. Right. Right. But I believe that ultimately would we see a true blending of Klingons with the, like a, just instead of there being Klingon space or Federation space, it was all just Federation space or whatever. And everybody's in Starfleet or whatever. I don't think that would ever happen. The cultures are too different and Starfleet requires, you know, you giving up a lot of certain aspects of your society in order to be, recognized as a member world of the federation right. and there are too many rituals and uh, the, the caste system alone would keep them out right. you know uh that's not allowed on, under the federation charter you can't have a, a caste system hierarchy of any kind everybody has to be everybody's equal everybody gets the same treatment the same representation same access to resources yeah. education and so forth it's yeah that's like the main rule so right yeah 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 i i feel like an alliance makes sense for a time but that yeah the the differences would cause conflict at some point not from the federation side per se as, as we've seen the klingons being like this is our culture so we do stuff um you're messing with my jive man <laughs> yeah so. And, you know, and the Klingons, you know, they like to have a good time. And part of that good time is, you know, often a lot of killing of other things. And um, yeah. Federation doesn't really do that. So, yeah, it's. Yeah, um, again, I we, say, we can I, res I really... we can respect your differences, but we're not going to partake in that. Right. Well, it's just, it's just a great other great example of I, I think the Klingon culture is, is probably the greatest success Star Trek has had for me personally is. They're an interesting culture. I I can, it's a sci-fi fictional show. I can get behind the idea that it's fictional and therefore explore this fictional culture and race and how their culture might work. How might it make sense? It's it's alien, but there's enough there to like go. Okay, yeah. okay, maybe you know. It's, I agree. It's fascinating. I, I think it's the best thing they yeah. again the greatest success in my opinion they've had. So. I agree. I mean, they. I think that there was a, a hope that it was going to be Vulcan society. Vulcan culture would be the one that we kind of 
leaned on and leaned into the most. And there are certain aspects of that for sure. But yes, uh, I think that the Klingons are probably the best overall developed that we've seen from their inception in the 60s all the way to now. Uh, Even on Discovery, some of the things they do on there to kind of further things along, you know, whatever, it's still a better development than we've seen of any other race um, uh, in in Trek. I would say the Cardassians would be a a second. Um, Because even the Romulans, as much as we've gotten from the Romulans over the years, I really don't feel like we've gotten as much insight into them as we would the Klingons or the Cardassians or even the Borg. I believe we know more about the Borg than we do Romulans, which is weird. Um, but that's, yeah, that's just how it goes. Yeah. I would, I would think I have an, uh, I think I would say the reason for that is simply that as a critique of Romulans and Vulcans, it's the idea of a culture that's so logic based that they like deny emotion is, is something that on a surface level is kind of interesting, but Klingon culture is the opposite, almost like emotional, and that's more fun for storytelling. Like the mm-hmm. emotional uh, storytelling is is more fun than here's what happens next. You know, I'm basically a robot. <laughs> I know I'm over. Well, and, I'm over. Yeah, I'm over, yeah I'm you're over oversimplifying. I'm oversimplifying. Yeah, oversimplifying. But but um, but I get what you're I get what you're saying, and I mean like yeah. yeah, I mean to a certain degree, I think that the Vulcans are always kind of uh, uh, presented as what we could become when we were our ultimate best selves would be like that Vulcan-esque um, level of clarity. Um, but it's wholly unrealistic, you know? So, yeah. Um, I mean, there are certain things about, don't get me wrong, certain things about the Vulcans that certainly has an appeal. But, um, yeah, I think that the Klingons just make more sense. I mean... Uh, once you take away a lot of, especially a lot of the ritualistic stuff about them, once you take away a lot of this stuff, they're a lot like us uh, in a in a good way, you know? Right. Um, family is everything. They love a good party. They don't back down from a fight. We always think those are things that we, you know, have in common. You know, they're an right. honor, honorable people who try to live honorable lives. What they view as honorable seems to change from Klingon to Klingon, but there is a sense of a... a, a a guiding code, a principle of life right. for them um, right. that we can we can appreciate. So yeah, right. And this yeah. episode shows that as well. So right. yeah, yeah. Wow, I took this over by bringing that up about. Yeah, it's Picard okay. That's Cisco, okay. Great, so. <laughs> great stuff. We 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 love our Picard v Cisco uh, moments, and we haven't yeah. had one in a while. Yeah. This episode finally gave us a chance to. This would be the first time that I would say that they were closely aligned. Cisco still kind of he comes off a bit softer here in the sense of he didn't dismiss Worf, but I only say I I will say I think that the only reason why he does not uh, discharge Worf right away is because he might not have known about him storming over and killing Duras on the from the Enterprise. He might not have known about it. Yeah, Picard has a previous history with Worf, and knowing how Worf tends to deviate and lean more towards Klingon culture than following Federation regulations, and that this would have been like the last straw for him, and he just been like, no. Um, but yeah, Cisco on the other hand is like, ah, you know, you're a good officer, but yeah, don't do this again, like ever again, because yeah. Uh, Great scene, by the way. Yeah. Avery Brooks, once again, fantastic. I, I felt his <laughs> anger. I felt his anger. I loved it, and yeah. it, it was great. He always has a way of 
you know, Cisco angry is a very oh, it was it was great. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part is at the end where um, is like, it won't happen again. He's like, you're damn right. Now get out. That was like, yeah. yes. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> very, uh, and then in the very next scene, he's talking, who is he talking to? But she, he's talking to Kira and O'Brien because they're relaying right. their report to him. And she's oh. like, do you want me to take Worf? And he's like, I don't want Worf anywhere near any other Klingons. It was like, right. he's still mad. And then O'Brien's like, space, sure. Space Dad. Like, yeah, Space yeah. Dad's still mad. You might want to yeah. leave. Yeah, and, and then O'Brien's, O'Brien's like, sir, uh, sir, but I he's like, ah. I'm trying to defend him. Right. Don't you dare. Yeah. Don't you test yeah. me, O'Brien. Get out of here. So, yeah, it's a <laughs> great scene. Great scene. Uh, Avery Brooks, once again, does a great yeah. job. Um, so now now I've taken us over, bringing us back to all this. Yeah. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. Um, I'm gonna. We'll just end it here in the next two minutes, and I just want to use that time to say, um, if you are following along with Strange New Worlds, uh, the most recent episode, All the Lotus Eaters, is actually a great episode. Not as good as uh, as Astra Aspera. That one um, was a phenomenal episode, but this one, not a bad episode. And there are some TOS uh, callbacks, which we'll go into that later. But I'm just saying, if you pay attention to the episode, there's a lot of TOS callbacks to that one. Um, in there as well. Uh, the show overall, I think, is doing a great job. I just want more of it. Like, again, more filler episodes would help us out here with some of the characters that we still haven't got to see much of in this entire show run. Now, granted, this is only the second season or whatever, but still, right. they could they could give us more. Um, other than that, all other things Trek seem to have come to a complete halt. Prodigy is uh, canceled. I know about. I told you guys about the petition to keep it going. Um, at last report, they were at two hundred thousand signatures on that. I don't know if they've gotten any more since the last time I checked. But even with all those signatures, I'm not sure that it's going to get the the saving swoop in that everybody's hoping. Um, Section thirty one on pause. Starfleet Academy on pause. Uh, uh, Discovery, the final season, is supposed to come out like in a couple months. So, um, yeah, after that, I think that they're just kind of like going to just run with Lower Decks and uh, Strange New Worlds for a little bit, and then we'll just kind of see what happens. But it seems like as quickly as it began, the golden era of, or the renaissance of Trek is uh, coming to a close. So, um, but stay tuned. We'll see. And if you tune back in here, I'll try to keep you updated every week. Uh, you can find us and follow us anywhere you do your social medias, except for Twitter, because I've pretty much given up now. And uh, <laughs> you can listen to us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. So until next week, guys, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. Thanks.